0: Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio Interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You're
1: with Chris Smith
0: on today's News Talk Radio,
1: TNT. So good to have you back for the second hour of this program. One hour to go. Don't go anywhere because there's plenty to come. Prue McSween will be joining us very shortly from Sydney, and uh, then Alex Zaharoff-Royt. We're going to look a little bit differently at tech today. I want to look a little bit more globally. That is, the things that are having huge impacts on our work, our play, our technological uh, behaviour, there are major things that we have to contend with at the moment. Um, For instance, we've got cyber attacks left, right, and centre. It's never been more dangerous now to be unprotected on your device. And that can be a server, that can be a computer, that can be a phone. You've got to be protected because based on what we know in terms of criminal gangs, cyber gangs armed with AI, they can detect and they can hack in far easier than what they could uh, do, say five, six years ago. So they're the things that we'll look at, some of the things that are influencing the way we use technology. We'll talk about that a little later in the program. I started the show talking about how we roll out the rainbow carpet for transgender activists, and they just keep taking more and more. They want an influence in classrooms, in schools. They're getting that certainly in the United States of America. Um, We also know that when they want to chuck a hissy fit, they do it loudly and obviously, and they can even, as was shown in Virginia, uh, change the progress of government on one particular afternoon on Monday. But I'm not the only one um, up in arms about some of this stuff. J.K. Rowling is up in arms about it. And this is only going to attract the nutters, but I'm glad she's done it. Let me tell you this story. J.K. Rowling has criticised a transgender cat killer who murdered a stranger being described as a woman. As it emerged, judges have been told to refer to defendants by the pronouns they want. What did I say earlier about one particular politician, a biological man wanting to be a woman in the Virginia legislature, who decided to chuck a hissy fit because someone dared call her or him, sir. Keep your pants on, relax. Someone got that wrong. They called you by a different pronoun. Just You just have to reiterate to them that you prefer to be called something else. That's okay. You can do that calmly, without the hissy fit, without the dramatics. But have a listen to this. Scarlett Blake, a 26 year old who was born male, but identifies as female, was sentenced to life in prison with a 24-year minimum term at Oxford Crown Court on Monday for murdering a stranger. Blake was referred to as a woman throughout the trial and in some media reports. Rowling, who has been vocal about her gender-critical beliefs and has been cancelled in many instances and views on transgender issues, spoke out after Sky News described Blake as a woman sharing a video on Twitter, the Harry Potter author wrote, I'm sick of this shit. This is not a woman. These are not our crimes. It comes as it emerged that guidance for judges tell them to respect the gender identity of those who appear in the courts. So does that mean that when I go to court, when I'm next in trouble, I say, I want to be referred to as a cat, please. So can you say, Mr. Feline, or whatever you want to call us? Uh, Can you call us by the term, the pronoun of a cat? Does that mean the judge has to do that because it's no longer a scientific fact that someone's a man? It's no longer a scientific fact that someone's a female. If they want to be called something else, the judge, the courts have to bow down to them. Once again, they've got to roll out the rainbow carpet. Now, the guidance to these judges in the UK which features in the equal treatment bench book produced by the Judicial College says it should be possible to respect a person's gender identity and their present name for nearly all court and tribunal purposes, regardless of whether they have obtained legal recognition of their gender by way of a gender recognition certificate. Now I could talk forever about the fallacy and the idiocy of a gender recognition certificate in the UK. But I'll leave that to another day. It also tells judges that a person's gender status should not be disclosed unless it is necessary and relevant to the legal proceedings. I wonder whether normal, everyday crooks have these kinds of rights to secrecy, do you think? Hmm. The Judicial College is facing a backlash over the dangerous guidelines and lawyers at MPs have called for them to be reviewed. That'd be nice. Maybe get people to have a say. Maybe to get the public to have a say. That'd be nice. It'd be very close to democracy, so maybe it's a bit dangerous. Campaigners have warned that the advice could lead to public perceptions and the statistics on women's crime being skewed. Give me a break. That's what's going on in the UK. Don't think that this madness goes on in where you live, whether it's the United States Parts of Europe or Australia or New Zealand, it's happening in the UK as well. The place has gone absolutely nuts. This is Chris Smith on TNT. Keeping the commitment
0: 24-7. I've been in the car all day and I got to listen. Can't get enough of that. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: I've got the founder and the uh, director at Verve Communications based in Sydney works throughout Australia, is a much sought-after media commentator as well. We're very lucky to have her right here at TNT. Prue McSween, welcome again.
2: Thanks, Smithy. I'm imagining you as a cat.
1: Yeah. What would I be called? How would my pronoun go as a cat? Oh, what, what, what?
2: you'd have to be Puddy. Tom, wouldn't you? I mean, you're Tom. a Tomcat, aren't you?
1: Tom, Tom, <laughs> yeah. Or Puddy. Puddy. Yeah. Or, or um... What are the other names for cats? We call our cat all sorts of different names. I call the cat mongrel. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about Mary Poppins. This is another case of political correctness gone crazy. Mary Poppins has had its age rating lifted to a PG, which means I can't sit my kids in front of Mary Poppins tomorrow. I have to make sure that one of us is sitting next to these kids. This is from the British Board of Film Classification, and this is 60 years after this movie was first released. Boy, oh boy, the film's rating has been upgraded from U, which signifies no material likely to offend or harm, to one advising parental guidance due to the use of discriminatory language. It has changed because of a derogatory term uh, within the body of One derogatory term within the body of the movie. Now, can you just smack me in the face, Prue, and tell me this is Earth, the same place I was once born in?
2: Well, Smithy, you know, the BBC is probably reflecting the fact that kids these days are so groomed by you know the madness that's going on around them that they probably wouldn't be able to cope with mary poppins anymore i mean the bbc is claiming that it's got scenes and language that could be unsuitable for them because horror of horror there's a word called Hottentots tots that's used and it's apparently a very inappropriate language it's but is it racially offensive because it's a, about a nomadic group of herders in South Africa. Now, oh. I've just said the most blasphemous words. Big whoop! Big whoop! <laughs> it's so absurd, isn't it? And, of course, the other offensive part of Mary Poppins is that the chimney sweeps who dance on the roof have got blackface from all the soot. So, of course, oh. how offensive is that? I mean, these BBC bottoms are really over the top and the credibility of this entity has just gone further down the toilet. I mean, for 60 years our kids have survived unscathed, but for some reason (laughs) the poor little petals, the snowflakes, the kids who wet the bed even when they're not in the bed are really at risk. I mean, give us a break.
1: it's just give us a break. It's like get off this planet, get out of our faces. Don't touch the things that are called classics. Thank you very much. You know, and the other thing about classics that may not be crafted or written under current standards of civility is the fact that you learn about previous standards of civility, Prue. Of
2: course. Of course you do, Smithy. But, you know, we've got to cotton wool them. We can't let them be exposed to all of that. We'll never, and this is the big problem with our education system and the system as we know it anyway in this this era, is that people aren't taught about history. We don't learn about war. We don't learn about power struggles. And, you know, so the problem is they just think everybody's going to play nicely. And when it comes a time when they may be called up to save this country, They're all going to go into the fetal position. They won't have a clue.
1: Yeah, no grit, no resilience. Anyway, that's also another topic for another day. Bruce Wolp, who's from the US Studies Centre, has written an article in the Sydney Morning Herald today that we must cover. Joe Biden, he writes, cannot win in November from where he is right now. He must work to get his approval rating to 45% or more. But he writes, Trump also cannot win from where he is right now. The pressing question is not about Biden, who has room to strengthen by attacking Trump's extremism and authoritarian character, but about Trump. Has Trump peaked? Is this as good as it gets for Donald Trump? The primaries show that in the three contests, 35 to 40% of Republicans voting did not support Trump. Many of them may not In November, Fox News found that 35% of New Hampshire voters were dissatisfied with Trump and would not vote for him in November. 15% of Iowa caucus voters said the same. Has he reached his peak, Prue? Well,
2: Smithy, I just don't get this because Trump and Biden will probably be the last men standing. So what do you do? You vote for a one-eyed limping dog or something if you don't vote for one of them. I mean,
1: may as well not turn up.
2: Exactly. So I don't quite understand the logic. I mean, the guy, look, he obviously hates Trump. Anyone but Trump is probably what he prefers. But Mm. Trump's so way ahead in terms of the favourable ratings. Um, Sure, we know that in the primaries, the Republicans, a lot of them don't like him. But what are they going to do? Suddenly fall over themselves to vote for Biden? I just can't see it happening. I mean, whether Haley thinks that she's going to fall over the line somehow, and I just again can't see that occurring. So I just think the blokes on the wrong train at the moment. I Sure, uh, people will begrudgingly close their eyes, hope that they could, you know, put the mark mark somebody else's name on the card, but there won't be any other name but Trump on the card. So they're either going to have to vote for him, vote for Bi- Biden, or vote.
1: Informally, you You see. I tell you why. I I tell you my argument. And look, it's hard to get statistics and try and work out a theme. But I've got a theme in all of this. And I listen. I I read the entire article that he wrote. And he's from the U.S. Studies Center, and he's got a pretty good grasp on previous elections. Okay, granted. But I I just think, and I think this is a good point. If those um, middle unlanded voters, those that don't want to vote mm. for Biden, those that don't want to vote for Trump, the ones that he's talking about, the ones in the middle, if they didn't vote for the likes of Nikki Haley during the primaries and they didn't, well, it seems to me that they're not going to vote for anyone because they had an opportunity okay. to show that they want a far more moderate, not extremist, moderate Republican. hmm
2: I also think I agree with you. I also think that this country—I'm talking America in this case—must be over Biden. You know, surely they can. They must be weary of it. the The man is sick. Uh, the country, the economy is sick. The world is laughing at them. Uh, power, uh, China and Putin are empowered because he's been so limp. That I would have thought that they would even though they may loathe Trump, would still begrudgingly think, well, at least he's got some strength. He's not weak. Mm. He's not going to be, um, he's not showing signs of dementia, although some of his comments recently about Russia and Putin can do whatever he wants was a very strange sort of moment, but the guy might have just been having an off day. Mm. But I just can't see that, that Trump isn't going to win this, even if, Someone, you know, Kennedy Jr. somehow got funding or, or Newman or someone else was put in by the Democrats. So I just think they're on this collision course and Trump's got to beat him.
1: Yeah, exactly. I've got to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to get closer to home to Australia. We're going to hear from a very sensible and respectful Scott Morrison from yesterday and a very disrespectful senator. Lydia Thorpe, both coming up after the break on TNT. TNT's Timothy Shea. We need a calling
3: in our public sphere. And I'm not calling for, you know, assassinations. I'm not calling for... No, no. What I'm saying is these people need to be exorcised from the public square. We need to stop giving them platforms. We need to stop amplifying their voices. I'm not saying censor them. I'm saying We need to stop listening to them. We need to stop voting for them. Claire McCaskill, newspapers need to stop fact-checking Joe Biden until they fact-check Donald Trump every day on the front page. Earth to Claire, where have you been in the last eight
0: years? The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT.
3: The Irish government is proposing a law, known as the Hate Speech Bill, that threatens free speech. This law could have dire consequences for our democracy.
1: This law will have uncertain effects on artistic and musical expression.
4: It could stifle the activity of public campaigning on political and civil issues and also curtail speech relating to topics about
5: religion, ethnicity, sex and gender.
3: You could even be jailed for possessing documents, cartoons or memes on your devices, even if you never read them or intended on sharing them. Mere possession could make you a criminal under this law. Help stop this law. Visit
4: www freespeechireland.ie forward slash take action to bend the hate speech bill. Ladies
1: and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. Okay, I had a caller a little earlier in the program, Glenn the truckie, talk about the fact that he wasn't into homosexuality and doesn't like the Mardi Gras, etc. And this was off the back of a discussion and an editorial I wrote and uh, delivered about the fact that transgender people get this you know, rainbow carpet. They get to show their their entitled attitude about the world. You know, they push mm. dramatically for taxpayers to pay for gender reconstruction, surgery, et cetera, et cetera. And I just think that we're being taken for a ride terribly, especially the fact that they're infiltrating what's going on in schools and uh, impacting on our kids' sexuality. Um, but while this is being played out, um, the Mardi Gras is on this weekend in Sydney. It's a fantastic event. They, uh, they're they very proud. The lesbian, gay community in Australia, people from all around the world travel to Sydney for this particular event. Um, it it's, doesn't hurt anyone. Um, they can be as homosexual as they want, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but the cops have been... Given their marching orders, because a report came out this week which showed that cops weren't very kind or protective of gay and lesbian Australians, um, there seems to be a deal that might get them back into the ring and have their float uh, as part of the Mardi Gras on Saturday. It's a, it's an odd it's an odd debate and an odd expulsion, isn't it?
2: It is, Smithy, because you know when you think that the whole spirit of the, the march initially was to you know, be out and proud and to, to show that there was now acceptance that yeah. there are people who are gay and are queer and they celebrate the, the fact that they are. And the police have had a rich history of a terrible history, really, in the past with um, you know, homosexuals. I remember Carlotta, who's a mate of mine, Carol Spencer. And she was talking about how they used to have to look out for the cops and they had this pigeon sort of looking out for them and then they'd run for their lives because the cops would often beat them up. So, you know, that was the era and the context. And now, of course, the police have a lot of gay people in their ranks. There's a harmony and an understanding. And that's exactly what this was all about. And it seems like the administrators of the the gay parade have set it back years and years and years by having this stance I mean for the people around the world who don't understand the context it's because a gay policeman uh, have, uh, committed an act of domestic violence and murder alleged murder uh, against uh, his former lover and his partner and suddenly the police are on the nose again I mean it was it Clearly, an act of a gay person against two gay people.
1: And yeah, it had nothing to do. It had violence. nothing to do with what they were alleging.
2: Exactly. And so suddenly now, the police are not allowed. The division. I mean, I know a lot of gay people who think it's absolutely offensive and ridiculous, uh, and I just think it's really putting it backwards a hell of a long way. And you know, it's just regrettable that it happened.
1: Yeah, it is. All right, I want to talk about Scott Morrison, the former Prime Minister of Australia, the last Prime Minister before Anthony Albanese. He had his valedictory speech yesterday saying goodbye before he goes and joins. Um, what is he doing, actually? I think he's joining the former Secretary of State in the United States, isn't he?
2: Yeah, some US defence thing, you know. It's a kind of private That's company, right. But they're doing something with Pompeo.
1: Mm. Yes, yes, Mike Pompeo. I think it's Mike Pompeo's uh, organisation. Yes, I think you're right. Anyway, that's just by the by. Um, I thought that he presented quite well. I didn't think that he was uh, trying to rearrange his legacy, as many do, the likes of Malcolm Turnbull does almost every day. I thought that he was um, contrite, um, certainly emotional when he spoke about his family. And that towards the end of the speech, he had something to say about politics. And boy, oh boy, you know, I think we should play this over and over again to politicians. Let's let's play it. Have a listen to what Scott Morrison said. Have a listen to this.
5: So to conclude, you'll be pleased to note a warning about politics, where I've spent most of my professional life, as most of us here have. I know that all political philosophies and ideologies, including my own, are imperfect, and regularly confounded by events outside our control. Experienced this firsthand leading Australia through the global pandemic. In my experience, the practice of politics is largely about contesting which approaches are less imperfect than others. In my view, those are those of the Liberal Party, and then trying to humbly appreciate and compensate for their imperfections. It's like Winston Churchill's famous line to paraphrase, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others. While a noble calling, politics can only take you so far and government can only do so much. You can say the same thing about the market. You won't find all the answers there either. And you won't find it in unrestricted libertarianism and more more command and control communism. In the Liberal Party, we have always believed in how great Australians can be rather than governments, with the true test being how we are able to enable Australians to realise their own aspirations. I suspect that much of our dissolution with politics today and our institutions is that we've put too much faith in them. At the end of the day, the state and the market are just run by imperfect people, like all of us. While politics may be an important and necessary place for service, I would also warn against it being a surrogate for finding identity, ultimate meaning and purpose in life. There are far better options than politics.
1: There are far better options than politics. In other words, don't get Mm. carried away With your own self-importance, I hope they absorbed what he had to say, Prue.
2: I doubt it, Smithy. You know, there's a lot of people sitting in the parliament, you know, what they talk about a broad church, Uh, well, you know, I feel that Morrison was uh, really pontificating and sermonising a bit and being very philosophical and very, um, I think, pointed. I mean, he was right, but... Sadly, we have people entering politics for all sorts of reasons. You know, some really do want to make a difference. A lot, it's for the power and the satisfaction of ego. And they lose sight of who they're representing and what their job really is. So we know they're imperfect. uh, But it just worries me that we have people, the quality and the caliber of a lot of people who enter politics, who come up through the ranks of You know, particularly unions, uh, where they've never had a real job, they've never had real exposure to life, um, a a commercial life, and I just feel we're in a a terrible way. I have, I actually fear for democracy. Uh, Sometimes I think I'd love to be a dictator and just say, "Oh, you guys, just hang on a minute. Let me just fix a few things, (laughs) and uh, we'll (laughs) get on with it after that." But I just don't feel that we have the caliber, the right caliber of people making the decisions for us at the moment. And uh, sadly, with all the factionalism where there's continual compromise and power play and patting each other's backs and all of those things that are not necessarily in the interest of the public and the future. And the fact that we have no vision anymore, it's just all about how can we get ourselves reelected in three or four years? It's nothing about what can I do for this country? And that is the tragedy of politics and democracy as I see it here in this country now.
1: Yeah, very true. I think at a state level in Australia, there's more done for the future than there is at the federal level. And it should be the other way around. But anyway, there's another topic for another day. I want to play some more audio. This time, Victorian Independent Senator Lydia Thorpe has carried on like a prized chook. Uh, She's triggered a furious row in Parliament that led the Senate to shut down early yesterday that was sorry early last night after she refused to stop speaking she just wouldn't shut her mouth no matter how many times she was told to do so i thought they had some kind of guards and sheriffs uh nearby that could march people out but l- let me just play you a little bit of audio you, you can't hear it very well but if you were in the chamber you were absolutely drowned out by her maniacal shouting have a listen
2: President, I was uh, about to uh, conclude my remarks in re-
1: Senator, Senator Polly, please resume your seat. Senator Thorpe Senator Thorpe, I have ordered that you no longer be heard. Please resume your seat. Senator Polly, please continue. As I was saying, uh, President,
2: I was about to conclude my remarks on what I think was
1: – was uh, Senator Polly, please resume your seat. Now, it wasn't on microphone, but it was as loud as hell, I'm told, by those who are in the Chamber. Um, she raved on about a number of things. The fact that the acting President of the Chamber was asleep in her chair, allegedly – she also railed against fellow senators and interrupted other speakers in a bid to make a speech about an Indigenous mother and son. Um, it was just, the, the woman is mentally deficient, I think, Prue. Oh,
2: she's a raving lunatic and, and a grandstander and she's a common piece of work and quite deranged. And this is the problem. She's turned the Senate into a farce. The fact that she's actually in the Senate i find incredibly offensive and we know she was there virtually by default because dean natali the the greens guy resigned so she was uh, the next one standing and she was placed in then now of course she's an independent because they've even kicked her out but you know it it makes a mockery of our political institution you know she's she's disgraceful and she's there illegitimately because she say that she says that all our political institutions are illegitimate because they they stem from colonialism. You know, she's one of these blinkered, one-eyed activists who really is a, the biggest hypocrite because she's quite happy to sit there for six years on her base salary of, what, $211,000 plus, plus, plus. Yeah. And you think, you know, she's contributing nothing. She's ridiculing the Senate. She's making a mockery of it. We've wasted our time and our money and she's just, she should be chucked out. I mean, we've got her for six years. My God, God help us. What we were saying earlier, the fact is we have people sitting and making decisions on our behalf and influencing very important future um, political, you know, actions and you think, my God credibility has she got? What intelligence has she got? How could she represent the future of our and the the welfare of our country? I just really yeah. find it absolutely repulsive and repugnant.
1: Yeah, and the the height of her to force the closure of the Senate. she actually changes the course of the government, which is even more repugnant, um mm. and uh, just astounds me. Look, you get footballers that uh, speak to referees badly. They might even miss matches or get sent off in a football game. The same thing should happen to Lydia Thorpe in the Senate. Uh, Just stay there, Prue. I've got two more things I want to put by you. And we've got to go to a news break. I'm a little bit late for it. Let's do that on TNT. I got news for you.
0: TNT Radio News. It's
1: it's about time. Matt Boyland here with your TNT Headlines. NATO countries have rejected comments made by French President Emmanuel Macron, suggesting Western troops could be deployed to Ukraine. President Biden
3: has made clear that uh, he will not send US soldiers to fight
1: in Ukraine. Tucker Carlson's accused the US government of spying on him during his high profile trip to Russia. And Japan's facing an existential crisis with alarming new data showing the country has just six years left to reverse its declining population.
0: Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT Radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download.
1: Keeping you up to speed on TNT Radio. Okay, a couple of quick comments on our chat box on tntradio.live. One here from lozzy Lozie says we the people should have every right to dissolve this government and all their corrupt communist cronies lou says and we australians are expected to respect these people and mm. the house you could all go and get effed uh lisa mm. says i'm sick of this of women in all the jobs everywhere you turn your head and there they are i want to see more men says lisa um, and it goes on and on people have had a gut full of this stuff And this is the ultimate. Uh, Like, this is the ultimate. Labor has spent $3,000, taxpayer dollars, on teddy bears. Now, uh, when I saw that, I thought, oh, well, hang on. They come in handy for gifts for young people, young kids that come into the parliament. Uh, Maybe children are very, you know, VIPs or something. $3,000 isn't much. These are $3,000 on teddy bears for politicians' proof
2: well they're all children smithy so i can understand why they decide to give them <laughs> teddy bears but frankly you know there's so much wrong with this firstly it's to celebrate the 20th anniversary of medicare who gives a rat's?
0: Oh. secondly
2: the teddy bears are made in china and what the bloody hell does it signify anyway and why would we spending that three grand towards the cost of living, you know, relief for someone. I don't care. But, you know, it's just the optics, the obscenity of some boffin, some moron, who's being paid a mozza, you can bet, somebody, public servant, who just decided, oh, that'll be lovely, we can just do that, and won't it be cute? You know, give me a break. They have no idea about priorities. Our money is being wasted by these absolute wankers and that's all they are and you know we've got so much wrong with this country so much debt so many people doing it hard and these fools are buying bloody teddy bears give me a oh. break to mark medicare
1: oh, oh. sums it up Absolutely. doesn't it sums it up oh, i'll let you go pru you've done overtime. um the check will be in the <laughs> mail we appreciate your time thank you
2: <laughs> pleasure thanks smithy
1: Good on you, Prue. Sween from Verve Communications Founder and Director. Um, yeah, she's right about wankers, like seriously. Why would you, get like $3,000 at a time when people are doing it? So tough. So tough. There's a mortgage payment for someone. Um, yesterday on the program, we spoke about the pay gender gap in Australia. We did it with Graham Wynn, the recruitment expert. Just a a quick comment from Paul, who's sent me an email from Coffs Harbour. What is called the gender pay gap in this country is largely a lie, he says. And that was interesting because we were speaking to Graham about comparing apples with oranges. In other words, the gender pay gap report that came down yesterday was comparing people in an organisation who gets paid more than the others. It wasn't a comparison between men and women in the same jobs. So it's not apples with apples. Anyway, Paul writes, um, it's a lie and has been illegal for quite some years now. I am in a unique position, he writes, to comment on this. I'm a computer programmer that's worked on a variety of big bureau payroll systems for more than 36 years. I've seen with my own eyes what a huge number of people really get paid and have just made a small change to an interface for this that many companies, government places, always some tweaks every year. It can be argued that some jobs are undervalued. Some may be overvalued too. The headlines never state what needs to be stated. Hours worked, type of job, experience, etc. cetera. There is nothing but the activists wanting the same or more for doing less work. Isn't that interesting? Look beyond the surface headline or the surface statistic and work out whether it's comparing apples with apples. That's the point we made yesterday with Graham, and that's exactly what Paul's saying here. You've got to compare how many hours they're working. You've got to compare how many years they've had off for having babies, for instance, and being out of that system. Um, They make a difference to the running of a workplace. Okay. It is that time of a Wednesday afternoon. Time to get to our good mate from techadvice.life, Alex Zaharoff-Royt. Welcome. Smithy, great to be here and with the audience. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I wanted to talk about a number of things today and be a little bit more global um, as well, because I know that we often give our listeners and our viewers all the latest when it comes to new devices and new updates, et cetera, et cetera, and all the latest on AI. I wanted to look a little bit more globally. Cyber attacks, cyber attacks have only grown in intensity at an even faster pace. Than they did during and since the pandemic, with global statistics firm Statista showing cybercrime is expected to surge from 9.22 trillion this year, 9.22 trillion to 13.82 trillion by 2028. I've got a thousand questions to ask you about this. What does that tell you about how fast? the criminals are ahead of us or how much more they're ahead of us? And how much does it tell you about the defences that are available for corporations to fight cyber attacks?
4: Well, it also, I mean, it's, it's obviously telling a very, very clear story that uh, the bad guys are certainly, you know, attacking with all they can. I mean, from their point of view, crime does pay and uh, they need to be, uh, you know, attacked act with all they can by the companies who are running all the different defenses and training their staff to watch out for phishing attacks and you know, making sure that all the various uh, accounts uh, that you know, from people that are not there anymore are shut down. There's many different things that can be done. I mean, we've got the issue where boards need to be uh, worried that they're going to start being not only fined by the government, but sued by shareholders. And there was a fascinating report uh, from Sophos, one of the big internet security firms that are out there, and they did a, a future of cybersecurity report for uh, Australia Pacific and Japan. And this particular time, they were looking specifically at mental wellness and the burnout that occurs Uh, when uh, these uh, attacks happen. And many of the attacks are actually happening through human error. So you can have all of the security programs and protocols that you want, but if the people are burnt out, if they're feeling under threat, if their mental wellness is not being looked after, then they're the ones who actually turn out to be the weakest link in the chain. And it's all good and well that boards are putting pressure on these people and governments are threatening to sue directors and all the rest. But unless you've got those frontline cybersecurity workers being properly uh, supported by, uh, they, you know, by the government, by the, by their boards, by other workers, this um, craziness is going to continue, and it's only going to get worse. And the, the bad guys are, you know, they make money out of this. They make a lot of money. They transfer it into cryptocurrencies, and uh, they don't care what uh, collateral damage they leave behind. They're very much into uh, taking all they can for for all that you've got.
1: See, this is really interesting. This is where it's going to head to torts. Um, that's mm. a more of an American term for a lawsuit, but. It'll be a group of people who will say that my telecommunications company assured us that they had just installed the latest defence against cyber attacks. However, six months down the track, they've been cyber attacked once again, and all the personal details of these customers have been taken. I'm telling you, and you are right when you say this, Alex Zaharoff, Roy, the future is a whole heap of legal actions against companies because they couldn't defend themselves properly.
4: Look, there's been a report put out today, a 62-page report. I've got it on the front page of my website, techadvice.life, as well as information from that software report, but the Australian Institute of Company Directors and the Cybersecurity Cooperative Research Centre and a global law firm called Ashurst have this 62-page report, freely downloadable, and it's to support directors to prepare for a response to serious cyber incidents. Now, there's a whole series of things they've got to look at. There's also a three-page sort of cut-down version of all the different things, the red flags you have to look for, the things you have to do, the things you have to be prepared for as a director, the investigations you have to make, the reporting you have to do to the government, the, the mandatory breach reporting scheme that has to go in place. But uh, this has been something that has only grown in uh, both sophistication and in uh, you know urgency that companies mm. deal with i mean in the old days it used to be that a company had an internet division and then pretty quickly it was realized the whole company was an internet company well the same thing is happening now with cybersecurity the companies have a cybersecurity division but everyone in the company has to play a role in yeah. maintaining that cybersecurity the, the, the whole co- even if even if you're a farmer you're a cybersecurity company whether you like it or not because you know if your operations are uh, in any way impacted i mean if if somehow the the bad guys can attack uh, farmers you know, milking equipment and somehow cause it to, to go wrong. I mean, they could ca- cause you know, refrigeration systems to fail, milk can go off, people can, can end up getting sick or, or dying. So every part of the chain now is uh, vitally important for cybersecurity. And you know, company directors who are not taking this seriously are gonna find themselves out of a job, out of business. The company's uh, fine, the company's no longer uh, in operation because you know, the whole thing has been shut down by malicious actors.
1: Now, I had Dr. Alan Moran on the program yesterday, uh, a bloke that I like to call uh, an environmental economist. Mm -hmm. We spoke at length about EVs, the market falling over in the United States, the market falling over in the UK, promises of EVs only being sold and bought from 2035, all going to the wall. It's not going to happen. Toyota's saying, sorry, um, it'll only take up 30% of the market EVs. What's Apple doing? Because Apple usually has a pretty good nose for what the future holds. What What are they doing with their on, off, on, off EV program?
4: Well, according to reports from Bloomberg and Reuters, they're officially ditching the program. So they're going, they've got a couple of thousand people who were building an electric car, not just an electric car, but an EV that could autonomously drive itself. Uh-huh. Originally, they wanted a car that had no steering wheel, no pedals. It was just going to drive you around. And of course, the danger is that a car that can drive you autonomously could drive you straight to jail if uh, you know a government decided that you needed to be put away. And we've certainly seen all sorts of worrying behavior in the US with the Department of Justice under Obama and under Biden. But uh, obviously, you know, it's a bit of a a shock that uh, Apple would shut this program down they're going to be according to the reports redeploying as many of those people as possible into all of their ai efforts they've been caught asleep at the wheel i mean siri was the first one to launch back in 2011 and uh, you know had steve jobs still been alive uh th- this i'm sure would have been far more advanced than it is steve today on, well, we've got siri here who's, who's uh, listening to what i'm saying piping um, <laughs> <And then laughs> in, in, in with her, i mean people say what does siri stand for and siri stands for um uh, people said it's standard for Steve is really inside. But yeah, you've got to make sure your phone is off. But um look, effectively the the AI project from Apple is dead. I mean, we we've heard the reports. I mean BMW or Mercedes, one of the two of them, was was claimed on X to be getting rid of its um, program for electric cars altogether. But then I saw a community notes that said, oh, no, they're going to postpone it for five years. Well, it sounds like to me they're going to give up. I mean, you know, the problem with electric cars is that you've got range anxiety, range issues. You get to a charging station. There's too many people there. I mean, I drive up and down between Sydney and Canberra, two major cap- two major cities in Australia, um, and uh, you often see that there's two or three of these charging stations. And Look, I go there and they're empty. But we know that in the US uh, where there's a lot more um, electric cars for example, in, in uh, California in, in San Francisco and places like that, you go there and everything is full. And as we've mentioned before, you know, those things, those charging stations, the superchargers, they're meant to only have about 80% capacity. Everyone can get a full charge Very quickly if it's only 80 percent, but if every single one of them is full then all of the charging slows down and we've seen i don't know if you've seen it but i've seen on x these videos of a couple of miles or you know more than a couple of kilometers of cars waiting waiting in line to charge and you know if you've got a a building and you've only got two or three charging stations or four charging stations but you've got 50 60 70 percent more of the people in that building uh, with an electric car you know, everyone has to wait to charge. And as has been explained, uh, you know, the, the, there are these car fires. I mean, insurance companies don't want to uh, insure cars that are parked into, uh, you know, deep into parking lots, because if what that car catches fire, it can burn down lots of cars around it, if not the entire building. So this is, this is causing a problem. We need a revolution in battery technology. That revolution is coming, but it's still a few years away. At the moment, uh, electric cars just aren't, as you know, the, the miracle we were promised—it's—it's it's still years away. And whilst I'm sure there'll be plenty more electric cars in the future, at the moment, it's much smarter to stick with a hybrid car or even just a petrol diesel car.
1: Yeah, the EVs have lost their spark. We've got to take a break. I'll be back with you, Alex, right here on TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective.
3: The weather across the United States has turned exactly opposite what I thought it would turn, it's become very, very warm. Now, the reason this is happening is because the water around Australia has warmed dramatically and unpredictably warmed dramatically. And this creates a different phase of the Madden-Julian oscillation than what I anticipated happening before the winter. You see, the computer models, and we have to use them to look at sea surface temperatures, weren't predicting anything like this. This sudden warming happened in January, but not be from man-made sources. It had to be something natural going on that we don't know about. In any case, people are blaming climate change. I have no problem with that. The climate is changing. It's been changing. It will always change. But when people start saying you are a denier, all they are doing is using ad hominem attacks to try to equate you with the miserable people that denied what happened in the Holocaust. And that should raise red flags as to what these people are all about. Climate change is real. It is 99.9% natural, and the impact of man has very little to do with it. And there is no denying that. This is T. ANT climate and weather watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smoky Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it?
4: Yes, good job.
3: So, what should I do with all these coals?
4: Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those
2: embers can start a wildfire.
3: I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. See, Smokey thinks I'm funny.
0: Thanks for listening and being a part of the Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: Okay, one of the most uh, influential power brokers in the world is Elon Musk. His influence on technology, social media, um, vehicular traffic is just extraordinary. And we're going to hear a whole heap, more about him. And the latest from Elon Musk is that SpaceX issued a tweet on Monday this week that this post was sent through a SpaceX direct-to-cell satellite in space. Uh, Why did he want to qualify that, and what the hell does that even mean? Well, it means that uh, the era of being able to communicate directly
4: with an unmodified mobile phone, not a special satellite phone, which we've had for 20 or 30 years. The Iridium network's been around for a long time. You've been able to make satellite phone calls from from anywhere that you haven't had a mobile, uh, you know, a regular service. But to be able to use a traditional mobile phone with no extra changes and just communicate via phone calls, data, or SMS is a revolution. Uh, Many times I've been traveling between different cities, and I've seen this in in the US, I've seen this in Australia, and it says on your phone, SOS. And I like to listen to um, TNT Radio Live as I'm driving. And if it says SOS, there's no, data service at all. So my phone is just, uh, it's a brick. Look, I can still have offline maps, can still listen to podcasts I've downloaded, but you know, you very much miss that connectivity. So when uh, SpaceX said that, this post was sent through a SpaceX direct cell satellite in space, Elon Musk followed it up with, well, this post was made from a normal mobile phone straight to a SpaceX satellite with no special equipment in between. That's because he's launched satellites that have the capability. He was not the first to do that, but he's going to rapidly expand that. And over the course of the next few years, you know, your phone will just work anywhere. I mean, if you're in a cave somewhere and there's no, you know, Wi-Fi network to connect you to the outside world, goodness. no.
1: (laughs) it thank goodness. There are so many places in Australia, and I know Australia is a big place, but there are so many places in Australia where you don't have mobile phone reception. And here we are trying to, you know, land on Mars. How about we just get our phone network sorted out first?
4: Absolutely. And look, this is also going to mean that, uh, the uh, the planes i mean many of the planes have an internet uh, connectivity which is like a meg a megabit or 2 megabits and you know i've actually listened to and watched TNT radio On a flight from Australia to the US, I had to put the stream down to 144p, which is much slower than 360p or 720p or 1080p, but I was able to watch you whilst I was on a plane. I mean, it's better than listening, right? Even though it's a bit fuzzy, I can see it. But when I was on a Qatar flight from, uh, sorry, a Qatar Airways flight from Doha to Paris, I was getting seven or eight megabits. That was back in 2019. So if, if we have more of these satellites in space, it means that when you're traveling on planes, the internet will be much faster too, and people expect to have you know Netflix driving down the road at 110 k's an hour, someone in the passenger seat watching. This is just going to make internet connectivity, phone calls, data much more ubiquitous, much faster and available pretty much everywhere, anytime you want it.
1: That is a revolution and may it come on as quickly as possible. By the way, I digress, but Elon Musk has tweeted today about illegal migration. There's a a request from San Diego for much more accommodation and money from the federal government. And Elon Musk has tweeted, dams are bursting all over the country. America is only 4% of Earth's population. If only 1% of the rest of earth moves here, that would crush all essential services. I am ringing the alarm bell because the flood of illegals is crushing the country. He doesn't mind having a go at some of the most controversial issues, does he?
4: He certainly doesn't. And we're very lucky here in Australia that we are surrounded by ocean. I mean, we do have people arriving by boat. Our current government doesn't seem to care too much about it. But in the States, it's crazy. And there's a real invasion going on
1: over there. Uh, Just very quickly, um, there's also Australia's largest private satellite called Optimus, which is being launched by SpaceX. What's happening there?
4: Well, they're launching this to be able to provide repair, refuel, and upgrade services to crucial space infrastructure directly in Earth's orbit. It's like a AAA or an NRMA in space. And this will have uh, a company called Advanced Navigations, a space-grade inertial navigation system, and it will allow the vehicle to jump between orbits, so it can move up and down between orbits, and it can dock at different satellites with ultra-high precision and accuracy. And given that there's expected to be, uh, you know, well, currently there's 8,700 active satellites, But this is meant to increase by 700% by the end of the decade. So uh, there's going to be a great need to be able to repair satellites and uh, fix them up. And this is going to be, you know, roadside service for satellites in space. It's, it's long, long been needed and here it comes.
1: It's amazing stuff. And this is why I wanted to do this particular special segment today to talk about what's coming and how it's going to change our lives. The other thing that will change our lives in the energy sector is nuclear and small nuclear-powered reactors. Uh, 40 countries are interested. uh, 30 countries have got investments in the technology. Uh, Australia won't, of course, and in 20 years' time, it'll look at each other and think that you were were stupid for not going down that track. But there's a, a, a UK company in Sheffield that has shown how quickly this technology is gathering pace. Explain that to us.
4: Well, normally it takes a year, 12 months to build a nuclear reaction vessel, and uh, they can now do this under 24 hours. So this is going to dramatically accelerate the ability for other countries, and hopefully Australia too, to bring back cheap energy through nuclear power uh, in these small to medium nuclear reactors and not have to worry about uh, you know carbon emissions and so this is was a demonstration and uh, they basically pioneered this local electron beam welding system and they completed this weld assembly of the vessel uh, in less than 24 hours and they have four thick nuclear grade wells and again this typically takes a year to create so it's It's got a diameter of three metres and a wall thickness of 200 millimetres, and basically it showcases the reliability of this system, and it's it's a dramatic new standard. So, you know, this is the sort of technological leaps that we need to to bring nuclear technology uh, to, you know, as many places that want it. I mean, other countries are going to build tens, if not dozens of these things, and we just have one uh, medical-grade nuclear reactor in Lucas Heights in Sydney. We should have had them decades ago, but the technology keeps getting better, and safer and there's no reason why we can't have this there's no reason why we can't even be the repository for nuclear waste uh from around the world and earn billions if not trillions of dollars from that because we have geologically stable uh lo- you know land and we have plenty of it so australia needs to really get on the program we have a nuclear industry already through the isotopes through the orca submarines that are coming and we're crazy if we don't uh, jump on this bandwagon i hope the coalition you know lib- lib- uh, liberal party the the sort of conservatives in Australia really make this an election platform for the coming election and uh, rapidly roll these out should they win, which I hope they will.
1: Well, I understand that behind the scenes, the coalition has commissioned major um, work, some due diligence on costs, and um, it'll come out just before the campaign next year. But what they've discovered is that, you know, this business about cheap renewables and and wind and solar and how little it costs is just a fallacy. When you add up all the costs associated with constructing wind turbines and and uh, manufacturing them and putting um, you know replica transmission lines down, it is some of the most expensive um, uh, power we could possibly access. And so that's going to be part of their campaign, but they're also going to push very hard for some kind of task force that looks into small modular nuclear reactors. The fact that we don't have a task force either deciding or looking at whether it works or whether it doesn't work for us in Australia is just appalling governments, isn't it?
4: It, it certainly is. I mean, our, our energy minister is called Chris Bowen, but I like to say he's known nothing. He, he's never had a real job. He no. delights in all this, uh, you know, renewable energy nonsense. And he wants to spend like $100 billion in duplicating our transmission lines, which so they can take the very intermittent power that solar and wind generate. How about spending that $100 billion developing uh, nuclear reactors, small to medium nuclear reactors using exactly the same transmission lines that we have. And yep. these things are not intermittent. These things are 24 by 7. You know, we used to have really cheap energy in Australia. There were TV ads about how cheap it was, but those days are long gone and we desperately need them to come back.
1: Yeah, we do. We do. Hey, thank, for, thank you very much for that special report today a look into what will be our future and it will affect every, each and every one of us, Alex. Thank you very much. And your time for your show on Saturday Night Australian Time? 6pm to 7pm in Australia, but also on demand. Please join me on Saturday night. Good on you, mate. Thank you very much for your time. Bye-bye. Alex zaha Rothroyd from um, TNT, of course, but also techadvice, uh, dot life. I've got to run. Dean Mackin is up next. This is Chris Smith on TNT.